This morning we are in the book of 2 Kings. One of the things, if you're not preaching on a series all the time, is you have all 66 books to choose from. The truth is that makes it a little difficult since you have a broad range of things. It's kind of like drinking out of a fire hydrant. And so we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 20 this morning, and we will move fairly quickly to cover those verses today. Let's pray first before we get into them. Lord, we do thank you for this time together. We thank you that we can turn our eyes on Jesus Christ. We thank you that the events in the Old Testament point to him. And the king we'll be looking at this morning was one of the ancestors of the Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for that lineage. Uh, Thank you for that place that he held as he was a godly king. And we pray that you will help us to be able to take some lessons from Hezekiah's life and apply them to ourselves. Overall, he was an excellent king, and in fact, an outstanding one, if not the outstanding one in Israel. So we thank you for his life. We pray that we would emulate many of the things that he demonstrated in his life. We thank you for answers this past, prayer, this past week to prayer for various ones in our fellowship, for Jenny High and their new baby. Uh, we do pray that they will, uh, the baby will continue developing and uh, soon be able to go home. Thank you, too, for Lizzie for her uh, safe uh, or successful uh, hip surgery. And others, we thank you for restoring them to us. If there are some who are not able to be here this morning, we pray that you would encourage them in their situation. Thank you, too, for our visitors, those from out of town. Pray that this will be a time of spiritual refreshment together and that they'll be able to have an enjoyable time of fellowship with others in the fellowship here at Branson Bible. So thank you for this time. Guide our thinking during these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. There were a couple of different possibilities for a title for this this morning. I thought, uh, I thought one possibility would be to finish well, and uh, we will hit on that theme the other has to do with when healing is not, not beneficial. Our tendency is to think it's always beneficial. In fact, there are those who promote the idea that uh, it is always beneficial for uh, believers to be healed and would say the same, as you see from the next slide there. One author voiced, uh, he said, God wants you to be well. In fact, he continued and said, health is something every, everyone wants which is true, billions of dollars are spent each year trying to retain or restore health. It's a basic desire of all mankind. Anyone who likes sickness must be mentally sick, he says. Yet religion has told us God's the one who wants us sick. It it, It even tries to make us believe that sickness is a blessing. That's just not true. God wants you well. One of his students from his college continued on to say, My faith for healing went through the roof when I discovered that it's always God's will to heal. Well, it's true that the Bible doesn't say God wants us sick. However, other passages show us that God doesn't necessarily want everyone well all the time either. In fact, sometimes he even strikes some with illnesses for various reasons, including both judgment and strengthening their faith. In 2 Kings, we're given an example of a man whose life was graciously spared by the Lord, only to have some adverse reactions or results to follow in his life because his life was made longer by that request. 
Hezekiah's recovery didn't have a wonderful overall effect during that extension of his life that a person might perhaps expect. You would expect, if you were given extra time to live, that it would have a great benefit for you and that you would do well with that extra time. But with Hezekiah, it wasn't necessarily the case. That's true in our lives, too. There are times when God may see fit to heal us because he sovereignly knows that the benefits of that will, uh, will, be, in our benefit, will be in our best interest. But on other, on other occasions, he may see, not, see fit not to because he knows uh, that our own best interests and even more, it will not bring the greatest glory to him, long term at least. I guess short term it might seem to, but not necessarily always in the long term. So two major consequences in Hezekiah's life we're looking at. First is the consequences of prayer in verses 1 through 11. Verse 1 says, In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart. I've done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your, your father David, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, bring a cake of figs and let them take and lay it on the boil that he may recover. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? Isaiah said, this shall be the sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do the thing he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward 10 steps or go back 10 steps? Hezekiah answered, well, it's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen 10 steps. Rather, let the shadow go back 10 steps. Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back 10 steps by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. During the Assyrian invasion of Judah, and after the Lord had intervened and had taken the lives of 250,000 Assyrians. That is a huge army that the Lord destroyed to assist the, uh, the armies of Judah. Well, during that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. At that time, it fell to the prophet Isaiah to go to him and deliver a message that he probably wished wasn't on his to-do list. Go tell Isaiah he's going to die. Get your, get your things in order because this is it for you. You will certainly die. Well, Isaiah was to go to this successful, godly, 39-year-old king and tell him to get his affairs in order because he was soon going to die. That kind of puts it in perspective. He was only 39 years old. Uh, some of you may be in the late 30s. Uh, that seems pretty early, doesn't it, to, for the Lord to take you? But that's what he told Isaiah. Put yourself in uh, Hezekiah's shoes. What would your reaction be uh, if the Lord uh, 
sent Isaiah to you. Obviously, he's not going to do that. But uh, if, if, if you got a message from the Lord that uh, this was it, the Lord was going to take your life, probably be a lot of different reactions. If you're a believer, uh, you would probably consider your faithfulness to the Lord, or maybe sometimes people talk about their lives flashing before them. As far as an unbeliever is concerned, uh, I suspect there might be a great deal of panic. If, you're not, if you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, uh, you would have every reason to be scared uh, should your life end without you having placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, Hezekiah had brought about incredible spiritual reforms to the land of Judah. When he first became king, there were some incredible things that he initiated. In other words, in Judah at that particular time when he took over, his father was an awful king and had an awful influence in the land. It was a mess as far as spiritually speaking and every other way. It says in 2 Kings 18.4, he, Hezekiah, removed the high places. He broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it and call it Nehushtan. And the Lord was with him in verse 7. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and that territory from watchtower to fortified city. Furthermore, Hezekiah not only cleaned out the temple of idol worship, he also invited both Judah and Israel. Of course, they were separate at that time, but he invited uh, uh, the north, the, uh, the northern ten tribes, to attend the initiation or reinitiation of the Passover in Jerusalem, which was unheard of. Southern kings didn't normally invite uh, those in the, the other ten tribes to come, although I will say that it says in the text that uh, those who went were harassed uh, for, for participating in that reinstitution of Passover. Well, after the first Passover, the people destroyed the idols and the Asherah poles in the city of, of Judah. Asherah was the female consort of Baal. So you would have find, find those uh, in the form of idols. It said he just destroyed the high places. If you go to Israel or Jordan today, you'll find places that once served as high places, and they were just that. They were the higher, highest places in the area. You go to visit the things, and they'd build it up as high as they could. For instance, the high place in uh, Petra. Uh, when you get up there, I didn't make it quite to the top. Patty was much more hardy. Ozarker than I, and she made it clear to the top. When you look down, the cars are about that long, and the people are about that big. Uh, that's how high the high place was. But they would uh, build their altars up there and sacrifice to their gods. So during Hezekiah's time, they, time, they destroyed the high places uh, so that the idol worship was no more in those, those cities. So Hezekiah declared war on the worship of idols in Judah. Now listen to God's assessment of Hezekiah. And as you listen to that, uh, wouldn't it be nice if the Lord said those kinds of things about us or says those kind of things as he assesses our life? It says in verse 3 of First uh, Kings 18, or Second Kings 18, that is, he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that, is, that David, his father, had done. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among, among all the kings of Judah after him, 
and among those before him. That's quite a statement. There, there are several that are not good kings at all, but you don't see very many that say, well, that uh, there were none before him or none after him that were on a par with him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses. So why did God tell Hezekiah that he was going to die? Perhaps his popularity, his wealth, his fame had somewhat gone to his head, but it was certainly not because there was no fruit in his life in the New Testament concept of, of bearing fruit. Uh, it, was, it was consistent. What took place here was consistent with John 15, 2, where it says, uh, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that he might be even more faithful. So there's a sense in which this may have served as a pruning process for, for uh, Hezekiah spiritually in his life. Perhaps God's purposes here were for more fruit evidence in the repentance of the king and the people humbling themselves before the Lord when they were uh, inundated with Assyrian conquerors uh, trying, to, trying to do the same to Jerusalem that they had, to, had so many other cities and uh, countries prior to that time. There is a lesson here, I believe, that we can draw from this. Trials don't necessarily come into your life because you've been unfruitful and unusable to the Lord. In other words, they may, they may not be as disciplined from the Lord. Sometimes they may be. Uh, we don't want to avoid that possibility altogether, but uh, sometimes it may be uh, that uh, the Lord wants to use that to make you even more fruitful for Him than you have been in the past. And you can think back, perhaps, of, of times that the Lord has disciplined you, and it made your life more fruitful. Was it enjoyable? Was it fun? You said, oh, yes, send me some more of that. Uh, I don't think so. Not many of us would, uh, probably not any of us. Uh, we don't enjoy those things. In fact, he says it, uh, it is not pleasant, uh, but it's just for a season, and the Lord uh, multiplies what he's doing in our life. James says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man does make a difference, and it made a difference in, in uh, Hezekiah's life. What did Hezekiah do? Well, he immediately prayed and asked the Lord. Oh, he essentially said he wasn't, wasn't ready to die uh, in the sense of uh, why. No doubt this passage uh, uh, well, actually, the prophet Isaiah had not yet made it out of the courtyard of the palace yet, and uh, the Lord said, wait a minute, uh, who are the people that deliver messages? I guess that wouldn't be Uber, would it? The Uber driver telling me to turn around and go back. Uh, the prophet Isaiah hadn't even gotten out of the city when God called him back to take another message to Hezekiah, one that was a lot easier to make. The message to, from God to Hezekiah was this, 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 5 and 6. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, your father, I've heard your prayer, I've seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day, you shall go up to, go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of 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 uh, my servant, David. First of all, God said, I have heard your prayer with the intent of doing something about it. When it says God hears 
your prayer. It doesn't mean that he hears the sound of it, although obviously does. It means more than that. He hears with the intent of acting upon that. Secondly, I've seen your repentance and humility. Uh, I think the Im- implied uh, addition to that is, and I know that they are genuine, as only the Lord would know, and certainly it was genuine. Thirdly, I'll answer your prayer, and in three days, you will have recovered so much that you'll be able to go up to the temple at that time, uh, even though you've been sick and all, about ready to die, in three days, you're going to be going up to the temple to worship the Lord. And fourth, I will extend your life by 15 years. That's a pretty amazing promise, isn't it? Did anybody else in the Bible get promised that? I can't recall any. Maybe you can. What would you do if you knew you had 15 years left to live? Would you do anything differently? Probably most of us say yes. We would do things differently. Uh, We'd do better in this area and that area and the other area. And probably Hezekiah thought the same kinds of things. We might think that if we knew exactly or almost exactly the year of our death, then we'd do things better for the Lord. I think Isaiah's life uh, demonstrates other than that, because the last 15 weren't as good for him as the first 15, as there is a glaring uh, insufficiency in the life of Hezekiah these last 15 years. And then the last thing the Lord promised was that he would deliver Hezekiah and Judah from the Assyrian army. Isaiah directed that a poultice or a mixture of figs be placed on the boil that he had that was apparently threatening his life. And then God said through Isaiah uh, that I'm going to give you a sign that this is indeed going to take place. The healing would be so complete uh, that uh, to the point where in three days he would be able to go up to the house of the Lord. And this sign was going to be God giving him kind of like a signpost, uh, except it was uh, through an object lesson. I'm going to give you an object lesson that will demonstrate to you that this is going to happen to you. If you have any doubts, uh, this will remove all doubts. Isaiah then asked Hezekiah, which would you prefer that the Lord will do? This is on the next slide. Uh, Which would you prefer that I do? Would you prefer that I make the sun dial, the sun shadow on the steps, go forward uh, 10 steps or go back 10 steps? There are lots of ancient sundials that you can find online. I looked for a whole bunch of them. This was the closest of what I could see that might demonstrate what he was talking about. All right, so on the right side of the screen, if the sun comes up in the morning, and can you see the steps on the left side? They're kind of dim there, kind of hazy. But so when the the sun is at its lowest point at, say, 6 o'clock in the morning, where will it be on the steps, high or low? It'll be high on the steps, and then as the sun comes up, where will it go on the steps? It'll go down, so the steps will be numbered to first hour, second hour, third hour, first hour starting at 6 o'clock, second hour, uh, well, what comes next? Seventh hour, 
or excuse me, seven o'clock, and it go on down. And so Isaiah said, which do you want? Do you want the, stair, the sun to go like it normally does, or do you want it to go backwards on the sundial on the steps of Ahaz? Hezekiah said, well, it's no big deal for it to go 10 steps ahead. does that every day. How about if it goes backwards? Uh, it goes the other way on the sundial. It'd be like all of a sudden your, uh, your phone or your, uh, uh, your watch all of a sudden start going backwards. I don't know if that's ever happened or not. Maybe you put the battery in upside down, except you don't even mess with batteries, do you? So God did it. Well, how did God do that? What do you have to conclude? I don't know. He's God. Uh, he's capable of those kinds of things. Some have suggested maybe he stopped the Earth's rotation. The thought of that is kind of unsettling for us. Uh, although the Lord can do unsettling things if he chooses to. It was most likely a local miracle, only obvious in Jerusalem or the area around there. The reason I say that is 2 Chronicles 32.24 says, In those days Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. He, Hezekiah, prayed to the Lord who answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. For, so the miraculous sign was for Hezekiah, not for the whole earth. Uh, it was for him to know the truth of what was going to take place or the reality. So God gave the sign for him, and that's the reason I believe personally it was done in the land for him. Miraculous, yes, but not necessarily for the whole world. I think there is a principle can be drawn there. God does not multiply miracles unnecessarily. What do I mean by that? Well, for one thing, say, for instance, in the life of Jesus, Jesus didn't perform unnecessary miracles to go beyond the scope of what he desired or to accomplish things that men could accomplish. For instance, he didn't remove the stone from the tomb of Lazarus. What did he have the people do? Move the stone. They were able to move the stone, so they did it. Uh, but Jesus did what the rest couldn't do, in that, obviously, they couldn't raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus could, but not the rest of the people there. Furthermore, uh, he didn't multiply the miracle in the sense that he didn't say, uh, when he was raising Lazarus, he didn't say, come forth from the tomb, and everybody in the whole cemetery came out of their graves. He could have done that if he had chosen to do so, but he didn't multiply the miracle beyond the scope that he wanted it to, to fulfill uh, to accomplish its, its purpose for him. Well, how did all of this affect Hezekiah, this miracle that the Lord had done, this promise of 15 more years? Despite this major hurdle in Hezekiah's life, he was apparently still too proud in God's estimation, and even though he did humble himself at the attack of the Assyrians when they were in an unbelievably bad situation. So from this, you can see that divine healing does not always cause a person to walk a more holy, more sanctified Christian life, uh, or in the Old Testament, a regenerate believer in the Old Testament either. So moving on to verses 12 to 21, the consequence of pride, beginning of verse 12. At that time, Merodach Baladin, or if you're looking for another child, your next child's name, there's a good one for you to pick. 
He'll be 24 before he can spell it, 30 before he can pronounce it. But he was the son of Baladan, king of, king of Babylon. He sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he'd heard that Hezekiah had been sick. Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah, and he said to him, what did these men say? And from where did they come to you? Hezekiah said, they have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, that's Isaiah, what have they seen in your house? Hezekiah answered, they've seen all that's in my house. There's nothing in my storehouse that I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Isaiah, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not, if there would be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of King of Judah? Hezekiah slept with his fathers and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Babylon was not yet at a place where it would be in a few short years, but it was beginning to flex its muscles on the ancient Near Eastern political scene. Babylon was being closely watched by King Sennacherib and his, his uh, followers in Assyria. But the ruler of Babylon at that time, Merodach Baladan, sent a message, gifts, and envoys to the palace of Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Now, that would be like uh, for uh, the, the king of uh, uh, Babylon to visit the king in Jerusalem after he'd been sick. It would be like the president of the United States visiting what would be the smallest country that comes to your mind? Uh, well, some people like them visiting Israel, except Israel has a lot higher visibility than it would have had in that time. Uh, pick, pick a tiny country that is not very powerful, and that's what it would have been like. In 702, Merodach Baladin then fled to Elam, which is in modern South West Iran, where he continued to resist Assyrian control. It was probably during that time, or it's been suggested, that he sought the support of, of Judah to help him out. The reasons for his overture to Judah, first of all, to give him a, a belated get-well gift. I really don't think that was the main reason, but uh, that was the one that was the first most obvious one. 2 Chronicles 32, 32.31 says, But when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and know everything that was in his heart. So while well, it's one of the things that was really on the mind of the king of Babylon, he wanted to know about that, uh, that sun going backwards on that sundial in Jerusalem. Uh, somehow or another, uh, he had gotten word of that and wanted to know about that. The reason? The Babylonians studied the stars closely, so since they thought the heavens controlled the destiny of men, they thought maybe Hezekiah had a special in with the gods, and they wanted him to intervene for them 
if he could make the sun go backwards, then certainly this was something spectacular that the gods were doing, according to them. They could use somebody who could put in a good word for them against the Assyrians, that being the case. Or speculative, they wanted Hezekiah as an ally and a friend. They perhaps wanted to check out his resources and his arsenal. I suspect that's probably more likely, don't you? Uh, those last two would be more likely. What kind of reception was given to the Babylonians? It was pretty good. Uh, it says, Hezekiah received the messengers, verse 13, showed them all that was in his storehouse and listed all those things. There was nothing in his palace or in his kingdom that Hezekiah didn't share with them. He was so delighted to see them and to entertain them as guests demonstrated that his true heart's desire at that moment was not to give credit for everything he was and everything he had to the Lord, but rather to elevate himself in the eyes of those foreign dignitaries. Isaiah indicated that this was a time of great prosperity for Judah and, by extension, for Hezekiah also. Hezekiah wanted to convince them that he was not a third-rate king by the world standards. Remember I said that this was a little bitty country compared to the mighty Assyria or later soon the mighty Babylon. He wanted to show them just because he was in a little bitty country didn't mean that he wasn't significant and his country wasn't significant. Kind of reminds me of Christians trying to impress presidents and world leaders today. How does that end up working out generally? Not all that stellar as a rule, uh, certainly if, they're, if their motive is to try to impress them with how, how knowledgeable they are of things of the world and how talented they are, rather than what could they be or should they be wanting to tell those leaders? Well, more the idea of showing their Savior to him rather than how wonderful they were as far as the world's standards are concerned and how much they had to offer. Hezekiah showed them everything, maybe even the treasury of the temple as well. So, so Isaiah came on the scene again. I wonder if, if uh, kings may have kind of grimaced when Isaiah showed up. Uh, it often wasn't with good news for them. His question, first of all, uh, where were these visitors from? Hezekiah's answer, they came from a long way off to see me. Aren't you impressed? Well, he didn't say that, but in fact, they're from the up-and-coming superpower of Babylon. Isaiah was not so impressed. He says, what did they see? Hezekiah, everything. I showed them everything. 2 Chronicles 32, 31, when envoys were sent by the rulers to ask about the miraculous sign... Uh, occurring in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his, t in his heart. So what was one of the reasons they came? Not unbeknownst to them, uh, it was so that God could test Hezekiah to see what was in his heart at that time. He, how did he do on the test? He didn't do very well on this test. He had done well uh, so many times before, but I believe this was a test that Hezekiah failed. So God's response to sin in Hezekiah's life, and, and in Judah's as well, first of all, all your possessions will one day be carried off to Babylon 
by these people who impressed you so much and you wanted to make such an impression on them. Secondly, some of your own descendants will be kidnapped and forced to serve the king of Babylon. And uh, did that happen? Well, some see uh, uh, verse 19 as a repentant attitude on Hezekiah's part. Then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good, for he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my day? I don't really see that, uh, though that verse as describing repentance. Do you? I think it's more the idea, well, I, I'll accept this as God's will, but I'm really glad it's not going to happen in my life. I'm glad it's going to happen later on rather than now. One author states it this way, um, this was not a confession of sin. It was an expression of the peace in our time policy. In other words, the short-sighted attitude that shows little concern for those on whom coming catastrophe shall fall. I'm glad that it's not going to happen to me. I'm glad it's going to happen later on, seemed to be his attitude. It's kind of like this, if you put it in today's context. In our day, well, let our kids worry about the moral and, and financial mess uh, our country's in. After all, I can probably squeeze under the, under the wire and make it to heaven before, before uh, whatever uh, takes place, whatever judgment of God comes, and let the kids uh, take care of it rather than uh, doing my part at that particular time. And that's essentially what Hezekiah is saying. I can slide under the wire here for these, uh, these years that God has given me and whew, breathe a sigh of relief. The, the ones after me will take care of it. Skipping the next slide, uh, look at verse 25. It says, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, Hezekiah became proud. Does God take a, a high view of pride in us? takes a low view of pride in us, a dim view. Hezekiah did humble himself before the Lord, and God's wrath was turned aside for a time. And during the days of Hezekiah, Judah was incredibly blessed. However, Judah fell to the Babylonians almost exactly 100 years after Hezekiah died. It's encouraging and challenging to see God's work in such a man's heart and life. It's uplifting to see a man that God used mightily in such a time of great spiritual apostasy in his land. In light of Hezekiah's decline in character, though, it should be a goal of every believer to finish well as this life draws to a close, particularly in light of the coming judgment, to finish well. How important is that? Well, an illustration of that can be seen in the couple months ago at the 2023 Track and Field Championships in Budapest in, in August, that is. Dutch athlete Femke Boll uh, asserted herself as the new star of the 400-meter hurdles. At first, she had to recover from the frustration and physical pain of falling flat on her face in the mixed 4x4-meter relay. You notice that she's there stride for stride with Alexis Holmes from the U.S. But you notice in the bottom right corner, that little object about that long, and it's cylinder, 
That's the baton. As she fell, she dropped the baton. So what happened to her 4 by 4 relay? Did they lose or win? They, lo they lost, disqualified. So she dropped the, dropped the baton literally at that point. Fortunately, she was able to redeem herself. Uh, five days later, she earned redemption by flawlessly winning the 400-meter hurdles with the second fastest time in history. And then the, the ladies' 4 by 4 relay team uh, won a gold medal and a, in a world-leading time. Good question for us to ask ourselves. Have I fallen down in my Christian life of late? Have I dropped the baton in my witness for the Lord? If I have, what's it time for me to do? It's time for me to reassess and repent of my wanderings, pick myself up with the Lord's help, and return to following the Lord. Hezekiah didn't so, do so well, even though the Lord gave him a reprieve, uh, as, you can, as you can see. And yet, uh, uh, it is important that we as believers finish well. We're going to pray, and then uh, after the song, we'll partake of the Lord's table together. Lord, we thank you for this, for this morning. We thank you for this time of considering the life of Hezekiah, a, go, a good and godly man uh, who... And the last of, his, uh, last of his life didn't do very well. So we pray that you help us not to do that. Uh, if there are some areas of our life that there is sin that's been evident, maybe it's not evident to everybody around us, but it's evident to us, help us to repent of that and turn from it and live more faithfully for Jesus Christ. Or maybe there's one here today, Lord, who's not a believer yet. Challenge them with their need for trusting Jesus Christ as their sin bearer, as their substitute, turning from their sins and turning in faith to Jesus, and they will be eternally saved. Thank you in Jesus' name.